for the love of goats. We are talking about everything goat. Whether you're a goat owner, a breeder, or just a fan of these wonderful creatures, we've got you covered. And now, here's Deborah Neiman. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode. I am really excited today to be joined by Dr. Patty Sharko, a field and extension veterinarian with Clemson University in South Carolina. And we are going to be talking about a topic that is really near and dear to my heart. And in this case, it's not because I made this mistake because I am, some people might say paranoid about biosecurity on my farm, but there's an old saying that I heard a long time ago that a lot of your livestock problems are bought and sold. And I didn't want to have any personal examples to share with people other than, other than one. I did knowingly buy a goat with mastitis once long time ago, would not make that mistake again. So welcome to the show today, Dr. Sharko. Thank you, Deborah. It's great to be here. So I get emails a lot of times from people who, you know, bought some goats at the sale barn or something, and they see something kind of funny, you know, like it has a sore on its lip or it suddenly has, you know, really bad diarrhea and it's losing weight and deworming doesn't help or its knees are swollen or something. And they're wondering what's wrong. And I ask them if the goat's been tested for a variety of diseases. And the answer is usually no. So that's what we're, we're going to talk about today. And the one thing I always tell people is that nobody's going to sell a goat for $50 at the sale barn if they could sell it for $500. And there's usually a very good reason. So can you talk a little bit um, from a biosecurity standpoint for why people need to be careful about where they buy their goats? So what you were talking about is that some animals that could be diseased, actually showing diseases once they get on a farm. So buying from a a livestock auction market is not the wisest thing to do. Our inspectors in South Carolina are checking for sore mouth or lesions for abscesses or caseous lymphadenitis, CL, and then also ringworm. And those cases that are clinical go home. But some animals are about to break with it or they're harboring it. And we call it like a Trojan horse where the disease is in them. I mean, just like this COVID, we don't know who's actively about to break with it. And so, yes, buying from a reputable producer is so important. And I tend to like to buy local just because the animals in South Carolina are adapted to South Carolina weather. Illinois animals are adapted to Illinois weather. And if you bring them down, you might have more problems with some things. So we've had a number of cases of outbreaks because people bought animals at auction markets or from somebody that they really didn't know much about and um, diseases broke out. So first, buy from a reputable producer who's probably testing on a regular basis. So I talked to a lot of producers who are testing for CAE, caprine arthritis and encephalitis in goats, because that does cause the bad knees. It can cause also encephalitis in kids. Test for that, test for yonis. That's a disease you don't want to get on the farm because that bacteria can persist for a long time. And that is like a Trojan horse in the animal because they usually don't show the symptoms until they're further along as adults. And then, you know, certainly the sore mouth, 
could vaccinate, but we only vaccinate if it's a problem on a farm. So better to keep it away. Having met several people who actually got the sore mouth on their hands, people's hands, it's a zoonotic disease. I have not had that. I've had ringworm and ringworm was no fun, but I have not had the sore mouth, but it's, it is extremely painful. So all these diseases we'd prefer to keep out of the farm. And the next thing is, is just as a reminder, if you do get new animals, even if they're from reputable producers, you really should have them isolated from your other animals, the farm animals, for at least two to four weeks, minimum of two weeks. Most that do it right are four weeks because that's enough to have time for some diseases to come. But yonis won't show up. Sometimes caseous lymphadenitis, the abscesses, they don't show up for several months. And so you've got them in the farm with the animals, and the big thing is to pull them. So those are the sort of the major diseases that I worry about. And certainly foot rot is a bad thing that I, you know, all of these diseases are sort of on my top list of trying to keep off the farm, but especially foot rot. Having seen animals suffer when they get exposed to the foot rot bacteria, it's sad. And we, right now we don't have any vaccines available in the United States for it. Can you talk a little bit about testing for these diseases? So if you got a herd of goats and you want to make sure that they're all healthy and also for people who are buying goats, um, maybe for the first time, what do they want to look for in terms of a history of testing from potential herds that they want to purchase from? So CAE is my first and foremost one to see if the people that you're buying from have tested their animals, because a negative usually is a negative and a positive is usually a positive on there. And we usually can start testing at about four to six months of age as kids. So it, it's pretty good. And anytime you bring in new animals, you certainly want to test them on arrival and then test them maybe a month later just in case they were harboring the virus. So that's the top one on my list because it's a fairly good test and predictable on the results. Yonis is a whole big discussion. Uh, That is so important that the producer who you're buying from has been testing for a period of time because it's a bacteria that hides. It's a hard one to test for. We do blood tests for it. A positive animal may test negative. Well, not very often does a negative animal test positive, but we have false positives and false negatives, but we especially have false negatives with the test. And then we go to the fecal, and we do a PCR, a molecular, looking for the the bacteria DNA, and uh, that's a more expensive test. We go from a $5 to a $35 or $40 test. Um, That's a little bit better to show shedding, but once again, the animal is not shedding all the time, so a negative doesn't mean it's negative. So those are the two I really sort of put up in the consider testing. Then you get caseous lymphadenitis. Everybody wants to test for CL, and I just don't recommend it. After talking and listening to many much more knowledgeable people who've done a lot more um, testing with the CL and actually seen contradictions where a negative actually had an abscess internally in an animal on necropsy, So um, people want to test, and I just say, um, I just don't put as much strength in that. But if someone's been testing for a number of years, they haven't seen any abscesses, they're, to me, a top producer. And then we can't test for foot rot 
you have to pick up the feet and look. And and like uh, anyway, I have a nice example about foot rot and looking at healthy feet <laughs> that that did have foot rot. <laughs> yeah, go ahead and tell us that story. This was a farm day for goats, and it was a combination of uh, meat and dairy goat producers coming in, and I was supposed to do fecal exams. This was uh, several years ago, and they were doing different demonstrations, and one was doing a foot trimming, and I didn't get very many people wanting to learn how to do fecal, so I went over and watched the foot trimming, and the feet looked healthy. I saw them trimming at least one, if not two goats. They were smart. These animals were brought from another farm. And they were actually trimmed on gravel outside of the barn. And that was that. And then about six months later, I found out from the producer that several weeks after the event, uh, her goat started really limping. And she picked the feet up and looked at the bottom of the sole and saw that they had foot rot. Not foot skull. Foot skull between the toes. Foot rot is on the sole. And it sort of eats away. And uh, it was nasty. There are different strains and there are some that are pretty aggressive. And this one must have been very aggressive. So what we decided is that the person who was trimming had foot rot in a non-clinical goat. And the foot trimmings were on. And then she walked over them to go feed the animals and to go into the animal's pen. So she tracked it. So to me, feet can carry disease. I knew it, but this really emphasized that this was sort of outside of the barn on gravel in what apparently looked like normal feet. So be careful. And anytime you have visitors that come to visit you or you go visit other farms, your feet, you need to make sure you're not wearing barn shoes. You need to be wearing sort of almost street shoes and then put on plastic covers And then you just do not want to go from another farm to your farm. Even if that farm looks healthy and everything looks fine, be careful. Yeah, that is a really good point. Back on the CAE testing, I know when I got started in 2002 and for quite a few years after that, people used to send their CAE tests to uh, Washington State because back then they were the only one that did the ELISA test because the AGID Um, was done by quite a few more labs, but the AGID had a higher rate of false negatives. Does anybody do the AGID anymore? Does someone need to tell their vet, I definitely want the ELISA, or is that standard now? There's still some AGIDs out there, and, and Cornell actually will recommend it like in suspect clinical cases. So I think you still need to usually specific, but I think the default now is more often the ELISA than the auger gel immunodiffusion AGID test. Okay, that's good to know. Um, And then also I talked to a pathologist about this once a long time ago, and he was saying that for kids, it's really not worth it to test them until they have been weaned for six months because their mother's antibody status can interfere with the test results. Is that still considered to be the benchmark? We recommend for at least four months of age and six months if you can wait is better. But yes, the four months is usually the time that the antibodies have decreased so that they won't get any potential false positive tests. And the other thing is, is I was always trained to not test adult 
females that are about a month before kidding and a month after just because they're putting the antibodies into the colostrum. And um, several people have said, no, that <laughs> you can test any time. I, I still think it's better to be testing an animal about a month or more before they kid. You have that information. You know whether you should tape up those teats to keep them from nursing because if she's positive with CAE, we do not want that goat kid to be nursing on her and pick it up. So you need to get that answer before. But that, that's the only thing is, is you'll hear veterinarians have different reasons for testing. Okay. And we were talking a little bit about false negatives and false positives. And some people get super negative about that concept. And they're like, well, what's the point of even testing then? But I just want to point out that we're talking about it. Like with the ELISA, it's like 99.9 something percent accurate. So it's not impossible to get incorrect test result, but it's highly, highly unlikely. That's and right. Then, but if it's 99%, that means one in a hundred, you know, 10 in a thousand. So it can happen. You just hope it doesn't happen on your animals. But if you've been testing all along and you get a positive, don't freak out. Just, you know, wait a couple of months, retest, because something in the environment triggered that immune response that was very similar to what we're looking for, especially for CAE. So I know like a very long time ago when I was building my herd, I was testing everybody regularly and I had a doe that came back suspect positive and she'd been here already for like two or three years. She had had multiple children, kids, she had multiple kids. And um, <laughs> I had also used her milk to bottle feed some other kids and all of them were negative. So I had a feeling that that positive wasn't really uh, a real positive. And what someone suggested at that time was to do a PCR, which as you mentioned, is much more expensive. Um, and that's why people don't use that as a screening test because the ELISA is like five or 10 bucks and the PCR. I remember back then, I think it was 25 and I sent it to Colorado state and did that goat that had the suspect positive as well as every kid who had ever consumed her milk because <laughs> I'm like, I want to be extra, extra sure. And everybody came back negative on the PCR. Is that still considered a good strategy if you have a goat that tests positive? You can. I'm not used to using the PCR test for CAE as much as just coming back a couple of months later and testing again mm -hmm. um, with the ELISA on there just because it is somewhere between five and ten dollars and, and oftentimes it comes back negative the second time. But yes, certainly PCR is looking for the DNA, RNA, whatever you're looking for for that particular disease instead of looking for the antibodies. Right. Yeah. So that's basically the difference. The ELISA is just looking for the antibody and the PCR is actually looking for the disease. So, yeah, people have learned a lot more about these things because of COVID yeah. <laughs> and testing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know it's funny when I hear a lot of stuff that they say about COVID, I'm like, oh, yeah, I understand that. And, you know, when people talk about quarantine, I'm like, I understand that. In fact, let's talk about quarantine a little bit more to make sure that you're keeping your whole herd safe. Step number one is to buy from herds that have tested negative. They've had whole herd negative tests, hopefully for two or three years, if not longer, if it's a more established herd. And so then some people might think, okay, I'm good. I can bring these goats home and I don't have to do anything else. 
but really it's a good idea to test them once you get them home, right? It's not a bad idea to to test them. I mean, once again, it just depends on the producer that you're purchasing from and what you have, you know, belief in there. But it is always good to um, bring them in, isolate them from the rest of the herd and do your quarantine isolation for two to four weeks. And then you could test them for CAE at that time because they've had enough time. They got exposed the last day going on the previous farm. They would have started to get some antibodies. Um, on there. And, and can I just mention about with quarantining animals on a farm, it's the most natural and easiest and happens all the time is you use your barn that you use all the time for everything for those isolation. And it allows you to look at these new animals, keep them penned up so they can't get into any trouble and keep an eye on them. But I, I have another case of someone who bought some animals from livestock auction and they were cute and she bought them and put them in a pen, and then all of a sudden her does, it was time for them to kids. It, it had been three to four weeks, so she took those out of the barn and the pens, cleaned it up, disinfected it with Clorox, and then brought the pregnant to kid. And within a few days or week um, of that, they started showing signs. The kids started having sore mouth or ORF on their mouths, and she'd never seen that. And then the does got it on their teats and the udder because these does had never been exposed to the virus. And that is, both are painful, but especially for the doe, she doesn't want that kid to nurse, and so they're more at risk at mastitis and, yes. It's not a good thing to go. So where do you put them? That's a good question. You want to put them somewhere that's out in the sun, you know, not under the roof, because sun is one of our best friends, as we've learned with COVID. But at the same time, you want them close by. So I, I don't know. Maybe, Deborah, you have some solutions for that. But uh, isolation quarantine is very important. But remember where you put them. And even disinfecting, some of these viruses are tough to kill. Yeah. My answer is I have not bought a doe since 2005. So, and I think so I'm, you're our closed herd example. <laughs> and, and we really do say be careful as a closed herd who comes to visit your farm, you know, they're, where their feet have been. And that's highly desirable, especially with the female side, is just keep them closed and then bring in a male from a farm in genetics that you know about. And let that be your only coming in source. And you quarantine him. And it's a little bit easy to quarantine him sort of away from the barn. Yeah. It's funny. I'm actually looking at this now because it's about every five to seven years I bring in a buck. And then I also, I have enough genetics in my herd that I can do a lot of mixing and matching and then keeping a buck out of one line to use. And so... I have some very distant line breeding sometimes where somebody's like, you'll see somebody twice in a pedigree, but they're like way out there. And I feel like that's a really good answer for people in terms of just keeping your herd safe. Cause you know, your goats on your farm, like unless somebody brings something in, they're going to be pretty safe. So what does somebody do if they are showing because they are taking their goats out there? And I'll start too by saying that my daughters, when they were home, the goats were the girls project. So it was me and my daughters and they wanted to show. And I kind of felt like 
well, they like, they do everything. So I should be a good mom and take them to shows. And so we did, we showed a lot when they were home, even though I was worried all the time about the biosecurity issues, because I, I would hear stories, you know, like somebody said, Oh, last year, everybody went home from the show and had foot rot. And I was just like, Oh my gosh. Or, you know, everybody had ringworm. And then one day my oldest daughter was over 16. She had her driver's license. And so the two of them went to a show on their own. And when they came home, they said, just letting you know, mom, I think we might have pink eye. And I was like, ah! oh no. Because it was like the most popular show in Illinois, like it sells out. So, so all of the pins, they are stacked like sardines in there. And my girl said like, there were just a gazillion flies and they were getting into the goat's eyes. It, it, poop is not supposed to be in a goat's eye, you know, and, and a fly, that's what the flies are doing. They're like, they're eating poop and then getting into a goat's eyes. That was the end of our show career <laughs> like that's it uh, did, they end up, like, did they end up getting pink eye they did most of my goats wound up with it and the most heartbreaking thing of all our first homegrown champion got it so bad she went completely blind and was just standing in the corner of the barn getting skinnier every day and that just I felt like okay this is it this was our warning this is the end <laughs> So obviously something like pink eye, there's nothing you can do about it because it's spread by flies, but some of the other things. So like, what should somebody do then to make sure or do their best? I don't think you can ever be sure if you're showing, but to, what's the best you can do if you're showing and taking your goats out into public to make sure that you can stay safe? Well, Deborah, I'm sure you know, you, you you know, when you're showing, you do not share. Someone has to, loses a halter and said, can I borrow your halter? No, I don't need you to use it on your goats and then turn around and have ringworm on it or sore mouth or something. So we don't share. And this communal water bucket that might be out there for right near the show ring, um, I don't see it as much. Like I see it for cattle. In, with cattle, we know mycoplasmas in some of their saliva, and it gets in the water, and that bacteria can be consumed by the next animal. So we don't share water or feed buckets, anything mouse can go. Pink eye is a hard one. Fly control is very, very important. You know, with the Scrapey Flock Certification Program, people that were showing, they're supposed to not really have nose-to-nose contact with other non-participants. And so they would put up cardboard or something between them or try to put a pen between their group. So when you've got them stacked on top of each other, like you described in Illinois, that's just not a good situation to have. So really don't share, you know, no communal, and then definitely treat them like they're new animals coming back and they need to be isolated for two to four weeks because you certainly don't want that pink eye to easily transfer to others and then to possibly lose their sight. Is there anything else that you can think of that people need to know to make sure that they keep their goats safe? So uh, we talked about feet, okay, and, and the importance of feet tracking diseases like with the foot rot, which is a bacteria, so they can carry bacteria and viruses to farms. Just remember hats, you know, in Illinois, you have to wear gloves and coats and things like that. Realize People could be wearing it on their farm coming onto your farm. 
So Dr. Paula Menzies at uh, University of Guelph says they've not had sore mouths in their sheep flock for many years. And she said the reason is they have to put on our, our coveralls. They have to take off their coats, mittens, hats, jackets, and um, leave them in the locker room and come in and we put plastic boots on or boots. And so everything does not come onto their farm. So that's something to think about. When you have, when you're a good farm, you want people to come see them. You know, you like visitors, but we just have to realize that visitors may be bringing diseases onto the farm. So we just really have to be cautious that they could have easily worn that jacket or hat to a livestock auction market or on their farm. I've been been to a couple farms where people have a foot bath, you know, as you're walking into their livestock area or walking into their barn or something. And I always ask them what it is. And they always just say it's bleach in water. But then I've heard other people say that once you get some dirt in there, it's really not effective. Is that true? That's true. Yeah. Bleach is, bleach is quickly inactivated by organic materials. So dirt, manure, as soon as it gets dirty. And I had a colleague many years ago for Swine Farm that was using a, another disinfectant. I believe it was chlorhexidine. But um, they cultured it after several people had gone through it and um, they could culture. Uh, it, the disinfectant was no longer effective. And so what it's doing is actually it's applying the bacteria or the virus onto your feet and now you're carrying it in, you know, or carrying it back to your farm. So at foot baths, we used to really like if they're fresh, but I've had some people make me lift up my feet like a horse and they spray my feet, you know, with the disinfectant. And usually it'll be like something like chlorhexidine, uh, which is not as caustic. Like when we go onto farms, we're using one stroke. And when you handle it, you want to wear gloves. So it's, it's a very strong phenolic disinfectant. So bleach, everybody's got it. But as soon as it gets dirty, it's been inactivated. So if, because we used to have a swimming pool. And I know I was super surprised when we got the swimming pool, the bleach chlorine actually goes away really fast. So like you have to have a constant injection of it in your swimming pool. And so that was the other thing I was thinking about these chlorine foot dips is that the chlorine is probably actually not even going to be there after what, a couple hours. That I don't know. I'm not sure how long it lasts, but that does remind me of another point is that usually foot baths, we're doing a step, step, out, out, okay? Really, to be effective, we need contact, and we probably need a a minute contact, and most of us are there for, what, five seconds or less? Oh, wow. um, On there, so you're you're questioning whether it's dissipated, and my question is, is did they truly make like a 10% bleach, or did they just do a glug into the bucket of water? And then the other thing is contact time. So really, foot baths are... A wonderful idea, but not as good as as they sound anymore. So oftentimes we'll put on plastic boots, but if you do plastic boots on gravel, it breaks down and now you're you're having contact, so it doesn't work. So having, you know, real boots uh, is ideal, but most people don't have that. Best thing to do is don't let the people walk into where the animals are. Keep them in alleyway. Keep them you know, on the fence and looking in and keeping the feet away from there, still having them guarded is good. 
but really not going into where the animals are feeding and eating. So I know yonis can survive on pasture <laughs> for years, um, and that's our worst case scenario. But what about some of these other things like foot rot and stuff like that? How long does that remain viable on pasture or in the aisle of your barn? Well, Deborah, I'd have to go back to my notes for foot rot. It all depends on conditions, and especially when it's cloudy, undercover, it lasts a lot longer. In sun and drying, it dissipates on there. Right. Um, it's certainly not as long as the yonis, the mycobacterium paratuberculosis. Yeah. Uh, that bacteria doesn't multiply, but it can exist for in a pond for over a year. So we really don't like animals drinking out of ponds. Fresh water is the best way to go. Pond water could have salmonella, the yonis, if other animals that were positive defecated in the pond, or the uh, runoff went into the pond. Oh, that's a really good point. I've never thought of it. I haven't heard anybody even mention that as a possibility. Well, and we're very sensitive with uh, backyard birds. Uh, oftentimes, they're on ponds. And with uh, high path avian influenza right now in Europe, is they should not be near open water and be fed off of that fresh water. You know, they should have well water or city water uh, and not from the pond just because the virus can easily come through there. So it's just high alert. Okay, that is a really good point. You've had so much great information here already for everybody, and I think you've answered all of my questions. So do you have anything else that uh, you feel that people should know? I think biosecurity, we've learned a lot about it with people even more so. So we just need to apply what you've learned for people back to your animals. All right, great. Well, thank you so much. It has been a pleasure having you here today. And I hope that lots of people take what you said to heart and are more careful when they're bringing in new goats on their farm. Thanks. And that's it for today's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss any episodes. To see show notes, you can always visit fortheloveofgoats.com. And you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash love goats podcast. See you again next time. Bye for now.